0: I am thrilled to have you on today.
1: I'm thrilled to be here. <laughs> I,
0: I was so excited when you reached out because I knew exactly who you were right away. Because, good, good. You know, I'm glad it's out there. <laughs> yeah. You, uh, you know, many people know your son, Alex Honnold, oh, yeah. of course. Everybody knows, yeah. yeah. But you, in your own regard, are such an avid adventurer, explorer, and it's just been so phenomenal to see all the passion that you share through your interviews, through your appearances on screen. And uh, I'm excited to get into it on the VanCast All right. today. Let's roll. Because again, bringing this van to people, it's always my desire to speak with people who not only live cool lives and, and have a passion for what they do, but share that with others and want to bring yeah. that out in others too. Yeah,
1: yeah. But I'd
0: love that's to my, have... That's
1: my goal too, to share it with others and you know let them know that anybody can do this. Yes. You know? Yeah. That's, that's the big thing that people assume, that, oh, well, she's, you know, this or that or, no, anybody can do this. I, you know, I had no clue that I could do this 10 mm. years ago, you know, so.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah,
1: so let's get this message out there.
0: Let's do it. For those who don't yet know you, can you give us a little background? on who we're going to be talking with today.
1: Okay, my name is Deirdre Wallenik. I'm from New York City originally. I left there when I was about 28 and uh, lived in various parts of the globe. I've lived in France and Japan, Southern Cal, Northern Cal. Um, I've been a teacher all my life uh, of foreign languages. I've taught five different foreign languages on three continents. Um, I've been many things. Uh, while being a teacher, I've been a you know an artist, a selling artist, um, performer uh, musically, you know, piano, flute, and other things. Um, I've done. i I've, I've reinvented myself many times during my life, and while doing that, I've I've sort of I don't know how to put this um, come up with a system that anyone can follow. And and it will get you to any dream that you can possibly imagine. It's not it's not rocket science. It's not hard. Anyone can do it. And if you follow the you know the program that I sort of, sort of laid out for myself, anybody can. I mean. Everybody has that little niggling dream in the back of their head, back of their mind, you know, that 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 thought that interrupts your your work day and you know when you're talking on the phone and and, and it just creeps in there and gets in your way that you just can't can't turn it off. Something that you know that well I could probably never do that really cuz you know it's not me and I'm not athletic enough or musical enough or whatever it takes. And I'm here to tell you that that ain't the case. (laughs) Anybody can do it.
0: Well, I already know that so many people are going to get inspired by what we're going to get into today. And you talk about this reinventing of yourself. And we were talking off camera earlier about how I run. And I wasn't Uh always a runner. I played football and I did a lot more um, sedentary things with my life until my senior year of high school. And then I High school had the post. yeah, okay. so I had the idea to to start running, and that's when I did cross country and ultra marathons and things. But there definitely was that shift where I needed to say, I'm thinking about this, and then do. So yeah. for you, yeah. what was it that you were wanting to reinvent yourself from?
1: Well, it's not really a from; it's a to. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I was perfectly happy as a teacher, and I've been a teacher all my life. I've taught, you know, like I said, five different languages for what, 40, 44 years now. And I'm retired now, though. Um, So I, I love teaching. I'm good at it. I know how to do it, you know, really well. And my students are successful, and so I've loved the whole journey. But that's not enough. It's just one facet of me, you know? And there were so many other facets I wanted to explore. So whenever I had the opportunity, I did.
0: So this book right here, of course, that is you on the cover. You wrote a phenomenal book. Thank you. Sharp End of Life, which kind of details how you wanted to explore, whether that is an actual outdoor explorer, explore what it is that you are wanting to do in life. So I guess what I meant by reinvent yourself from, you know, you're doing things today, you know, beyond teaching, whether that was running rock climbing that you weren't necessarily doing, or I don't know if the passion had to grow from your early years. But I guess the question for me is, um, what I guess sparked this interest in wanting to do different things rather than just, you know, do the things that you're doing day to day in life. What changes when you say I'm teaching or, you know, I grew up doing just this. Now I'm going to try something different.
1: Well, life is, like, so fascinating. I mean, there are so many things out there that you can do and experience and see and and live through, you know, whatever. And, you know, teaching is great. I love it. uh, But it's not everything, (laughs) you know. Um, And when an opportunity would present itself, I would jump on it. Like the very first... Um I was teaching in the Bronx, I believe at that time, Bronx in New York City. And I don't remember how it happened, but through a friend of a friend of a friend, I suddenly had the opportunity to go work in uh, with Air France at JFK Airport. Well, it wasn't exactly in my wheelhouse. I mean, I wasn't trained to do that kind of work. I was ground or they called me ground personnel um but they had an opening they needed somebody fast I spoke the three or four languages they wanted you know and I got the job and so I did that for like I don't know two three years something like that on weekends you know I started like Friday evening like night because there are a lot of night flights from New York to Europe you know you get there in the morning and so um when the you know when the when the I like to think of it as these cosmic circles bumping around up there, you know, once in a while they bump into each other and, and a door opens or, or, you know, opportunity presents itself. And uh, if you just have to be receptive to it, mm. there's so much fascinating stuff out there. Um, I mean, people enjoy, I, I know that people enjoy this because they love going to the movies and seeing some of this fascinating stuff, you know, but for a lot of people, unfortunately, they, they think of that as fiction You know, oh, that couldn't be me. You know, I couldn't do that because, you know, too many people depend on me. I have a job. I don't have the time. I all kinds of excuses that we can come up with. I didn't have the time then. You know, I was teaching full time and teaching language is really time intensive much more so say like than teaching math. My brother was a math teacher at the same time and he never had any work to do at home. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't have any work to do at home. And I was constantly at my desk, you know, changing the lessons, grading things, whatever. So it was it was a wonderful opportunity professionally, you know, for my languages, but a wonderful opportunity socially. I It was just, I loved it.
0: What a really neat opportunity. And what immediately comes to mind is how, you were obviously qualified and yeah. prepared for an opportunity when it arose. Exactly. And I think that's a key thing too, is that if you're doing something or you're good at something and maybe you like it or maybe not completely, um, it's sticking with that thing that may lead to other opportunities.
1: Right, right. You never know.
0: Yeah, because know. maybe somebody wants to do something or, you know, the opportunity doesn't rise because they don't know the language that would allow them to be in a, a situation right. like right.
1: that. Right, right.
0: So, then let's talk a little bit about what we kind of touched on already, which was uh, running. <laughs> running. Let's talk right. about running first. So, and you I,
1: started after high school. I started at 55. <laughs>
0: yeah. So, it's never, never too late. <laughs> it is
1: never too late. Absolutely.
0: And that, I believe that was spurned by some encouragement from your daughter. Is that correct? Yes.
1: Yes. Yeah. My daughter uh, was, she's also an extreme athlete like her brother, but uh, not. She's a good climber, a very good climber, much better than me, (laughs) Um, but that's not her sport of choice. You know, her her two sports of choice are long-distance cycling and long-distance running, and she's crazy about both, and uh, she's a very upbeat, enthusiastic kind of person, and, you know, when she's crazy about something, everybody hears about it, and she, you know, the love just overflows, as it were, and... uh, yeah, well, both of, both my kids have always encouraged me to you know to try stuff because I always encourage them to try stuff and mm-hmm. that's you know, that's how they go to, got to try all these cool things. Um, so it was, uh, it, I got into it sort of by accident. I don't know. Do we have time for the whole story? We have time uh, for uh, okay. whatever you'd like. Okay. Um, I don't
0: work till uh, Monday. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I do. <laughs> Alex wasn't living at home anymore. He was, you know, out on the road all the time. He was, he had um, sponsors, and so he would go on expeditions and stuff. But once in a while, he'd come home, restock his van from, from my refrigerator, you know, <laughs> and uh, hang out for a while. So he happened to be home. And um, th- I went through this period of about seven, eight years. It was really, really hard on me. Because people were dying left and right in the fa- in both families, my husband's family and my family. And I went through this, this period of seven, eight years where death, then another death. I'd start to dig out, then another death. And then Alex almost died. He had a horrible accident up on Mount Talak in Tahoe. And and then my father. And with a lot of these deaths, I inherited massive amounts of work. I was executor for this and executor for that. And then I had three houses to deal with in Pennsylvania for my father, T- teeny tiny little houses that my grandfather had built. I, I, want, I, did, I, I kind of wanted them, but I live in California and, you know, I have all these jobs. So, but in order to sell them, I had to remodel them. So Every day I would go to work at the college. I'd teach my eight, nine, ten hours, whatever, come home, change my clothes, go in the office at home and do all the estate work. I'd call Pennsylvania. I'd call West Sacramento to do that. I was re- remodeling a house there, too. <laughs> all of this alone because I, I didn't have any help and I didn't have time to go out and find help and train them in, in what I needed to do. So I that's all I did. And so... By the end of every—this was seven days a week, you know, I just—that's all I did. And I I saw my kids going out and having all this fun. (laughs) I was so jealous. I saw them going out and having all this fun and challenging themselves and just talking about it, you know, nonstop. I wanted some of that. <laughs> but so one night, I, uh, every night after all the you know three or four whatever hours it was of the estate work in, in my office, I would change my clothes and take the dog for a walk just to clear my head, you know, because I knew that at 5.30 the next morning I'd be up doing it all again. So it was a big dog, Malamute, um, you know, Alaskan sled dog. And so I would just kind of follow along behind the dog and try to keep up with her because, because I, I knew this, – this is a, another big issue with well, with a lot of people about accomplishing things. We tell ourselves stories like this one. I, I knew from my childhood that I couldn't run or swim or, or do anything that required um, sustained deep breathing because yeah. I grew up in a house – Filled, filled with smoke, cigar and cigarette all the time, all the time. They didn't know about secondhand smoke back then. They just didn't know. You know, it wasn't a thing yet. And so they'd laugh and we'd blow it away. So, I I mean, like to watch television, I had to, you know, constantly be blowing the smoke away so I could see. It was really thick. And so I'm, I'm not... Too dumb. I mean, I did the research. I found out about you know the alveolar sacs in your lungs, and and once they burst, they don't regenerate. So I knew, I knew, you know, quote unquote, there's that air quote. I knew that I couldn't do anything that required deep breathing. So, so I knew I couldn't run. So, so I would just kind of try to trot along behind the dog and try to keep up as best I could. And then one night I came home and with the dog, and and as I got to the door, I looked. I, I don't remember what I used, a watch or something. And I looked and I said to myself, oh, no, is that possible? I just ran a mile with the dog. I ran a mile. Yeah, I ran a mile. So this is like, this sounds like nothing. It's a mile, baby stuff. But to me, it was like climbing Everest because I knew I couldn't do it. And so I came through the bursting through the door yelling, Alex, Alex, I just ran a mile. (laughs) So just somebody like Alex, you can imagine how... What dull that sounds! (laughs) But he's always been a good sport with me. He came out of his room and munching his cookie, and said, "And what he said that night changed my life completely. Changed my life." And I hope maybe some of you guys listening will think about this. He he came out and said, "Well, cool, mom. If you can do one mile, you can do a mile and a half." Ah, I was absolutely undone. I mean, I was—he he had taken all the wind out of my sails. <laughs> I had climbed Everest, and he wasn't impressed. And then he went back to his room, and I—when I, I recovered from the shock of, you know, not being taken seriously, I started to think about what he said. And son of a gun, that is the key to everything in life. If you can truly accept that, well, if I can do a mile, I can do a mile on a block— or a mile and two blocks, or just a half a block, and the next week I'll do another block, and another half mile, a quarter mile. It, the increments don't matter. You know, how slowly or fast you do, doesn't matter, as long as you're going forward. And, and once you accept that as true, there, it's an, amazing because that means there are no limits. And that's what people have always admired about Alex. He can do anything. He just keeps going, 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 going. You know, like that the, the thing he just did, the Hurt, you know, the H-U-R-T. Mm. 35 miles of climbing. <laughs> who does that? Well, I know who does that. Somebody with no limits. And once you accept this as true, that you can do a mile and a, a block, then there are, really are no limits, mm. you know, and and that opens all the doors that you could possibly dream of.
0: That is monumental. It
1: is. It truly is. For anybody to hear. It truly is.
0: In college, I remember someone telling me, a teammate of mine, surprisingly, who said, Nick, you could train as hard as you want every day, all day long, and you're never going to beat the first guy at Stanford. And I never did, but I thought that that's not a great way to think about things. That's a
1: terrible thing to say to somebody.
0: <laughs> and and he, he meant it to, you know, be as good as
1: you can, but yeah, I was he's like, I still want Yeah, he was trying to be wanna... realistic. You know, like, you know, a lot of yeah. people say, well, let's be realistic about this. Yeah. You can't climb El Cap. You're 66 years old. And, you know, let's exactly. be realistic about this. Well, I was realistic about it.
0: <laughs> well, that's exactly my point. I think that sometimes there is realistic, but at the same time, how do you find out right. exactly. what the actual ceiling exactly. is? Exactly.
1: You can't know what you're uh, capable of until you try it.
0: Mm. So you did the block after the mile? I what was did. the next step I for did. you? The next
1: step for me was first to repeat my mile, see if I – it was a fluke because you know, <laughs> I was still convinced yet, you know. And then I went out and started pushing that mile and mile and a quarter. You know, mile it took weeks. Took you know whatever, mile and a half. And, and and after a few weeks, I started leaving the dog at home because the dog always wanted to stop, <laughs> mm-hmm. and I didn't. You know, because I was busy trying to find out where my limits were and and trying to trying to let it dawn on me that I had no more limits. This is a hard thing to accept because if you accept once you accept that. You have to go out there and start doing stuff, <laughs> you know? Once you accept that, you can't just sit home and watch television, hmm. you know? It, it changes everything.
0: I was perfectly fine going about my life before I found running, just sitting there you on go. the couch. There you but go. once you do it, and once you right. feel the endorphins from a right. run, right? since 2010, I haven't gone more than three days without running because mm-hmm. yeah, Like I my need daughter, it.
1: like my daughter. Yeah. She doesn't get... Physical exercise, any given day, yeah. she's grumpy, and uh, yeah. things are just not right. Yeah. yeah.
0: So, some time goes by. When do you set your sights on 26.2 of these miles in a row? Well,
1: that very first year, in fact. Yeah? I started pushing the, the that mile, then two miles, and then three, and then I signed up uh, um, another another diversion kind of story, but um, Alex was going to Spain for a week for a competition. And um, I had signed up for, uh, I heard, I didn't know, I didn't know anything about running. I, I, all I knew was every evening I'd go out and jog, you know, with the dog. That was, I'm not a fast runner. I I don't even feel comfortable calling it running because I'm not really going fast. I just jog, you know, I just do the distance. But um, I had heard a, what was it called, Um, Run to Feed the Hungry for Thanksgiving. I heard that. I saw it in the newspaper or something. And I was new to running. I was, you know, starting to have a good time, finding my pace, as it were. And I saw that. I said, oh, goodness, six miles. I mean, I had run a mile, and I was feeling good about doing two miles, you know, two and a half. But six miles, I knew I would not finish. There's another one of those, you know, I know that, you know stories we tell ourselves. I knew I wouldn't finish, but it was such a good cause. You know, I I wanted to support the cause and and I'd maybe meet other runners or see what they do and see what it's really like out there in the world of running. You know, I had no clue. I was still running in jeans and, you know, sweatshirt and I had Kmart sneakers and I wasn't a runner yet. And uh, (laughs) so I signed up for that and I told Alex, but he was coming home the, the night before the run like midnight, you know, that, that night. And, and as soon as I told him about it, he said, well, sign me up, I'll do it with you. I said, well, well you're coming home at midnight the night, are you sure? But I didn't, I, I still didn't quite fully realize what he was capable of, you know, I, back then, this was years ago. And so he, he insisted, so I signed him up, and uh, he came back the night before the race and you know, fell into bed and got up the next morning at whatever, 6, 6.30, and we, off we went. And it was astounding to me because, I, like I said, I'd just been jogging with the dog. I didn't know any runners. I didn't know – except my daughter. Mm. And so we got there, like 20,000 runners. (laughs) It was amazing. When I saw the crowd, it felt like going home. I mean, because – I mean, I'm not a runner. I wasn't a real runner. You know, Mm. there's that – what do you call that? Uh, that imposter thing. You know, I'm not a real runner. You know, those people are real. They have the spandex and the hats and, the you know, the the, the, the shoes, the special shoes and the special socks. Every, you know, <laughs> everything I looked at around me was specially made for running. And there I was in my jeans and my <laughs> T-shirt. <laughs> but Alex said, well, hey, Mom, we, we paid the money. We may as well do the run. And so we started. The gun went off, and off we went. And uh, I—it was hard, really, really hard on me, because in the back of my mind, I kept thinking, six miles, six—I can't run six miles. And I just so Alex—he's so good at this. He, he, uh, he completely distracted me by telling me stories about Spain, his week in Spain at the competition, and he was running backwards in front of me you know it's talking to me or running around me in circles around me and running up the lawns on the right and the left of me as I chugged along I was in agony you know my everything was chafing I had jeans on right now my buckle was chafing everything was just wrong and my glasses were sliding off my nose (laughs) it was terrible and uh if it hadn't been for him doing that you know distracting me telling me all these wonderful stories uh, I probably wouldn't have finished. I probably would have gotten to a three or four and just said, okay, I I made a good shot at it, you know. But he just, you know, he held my my sweatshirt when I used the port potty and he, you know, went, it, was, it was an amazing experience. And then we turned around a corner and, and I saw the finish line. I was like, holy cow, six miles. Oh, and that was sort of like, that was my push into running.
0: That is so wonderful. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And you can hear it in your voice, how fulfilling that is. It was,
1: it was, it was. And if it weren't for him, I might not have ever done it.
0: Yeah. Now thinking about the actual, you know, accomplishment of even going back again to the first mile and feeling those endorphins or or whatever you would call it, definitely endorphins. But was there something else uh, inside of you that you could touch on? Maybe it's... I know you. You talk about in your book. You you grow up in a way that you're supposed to act in a certain way. Mm. You fit into a certain oh, box yeah. or something. Judy,
1: Judy, everything was Judy.
0: So, is there any part of that that you accomplish something that you could have maybe never foreseen yourself doing later in life that then opens something up? inside of well, you yeah, that, sure. accomplishment-wise. It was a
1: combination of things. Th- that and, you know, the, the encouragement from my kids and the help from Alex. There's mm-hmm. <laughs> a whole, you know, a whole slew of things that fed that, mm-hmm. you know. But, uh, yeah, it was a great experience.
0: Did you keep running beyond that? I did. Oh, yeah, I did, yeah. I've, I've
1: done four marathons. Wow. And, I don't know, seven or eight um, half marathons mm-hmm. and countless little runs and... I still do once in a while, but I had foot surgery a few oh, a few years ago, and it's really hard right now. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of body parts that are complaining if I do, mm. you know, so.
0: Well, the cool but, thing is no one can ever take those away from no, you. No, exactly. Did I did yeah, those. it's fun to think, yeah, of, yeah. think about the... You know, it's the accomplishment of the run, but it's the accomplishment of overcoming and doing something you didn't think you could do. do. Exactly. Going back to that.
1: Yeah, that feeling of surpassing yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When I knew I couldn't, you know, and and to prove that wrong is just, there's no feeling quite like it.
0: When you think about sharing your story about this particular avenue running, do you think it is, you know, do you encourage people to seek something Physical? Do you think it's something about the physicality of running that allows people to find purpose, to find passion, or or can it be?
1: No, it can be anything. Yeah, it can be anything. I mean, you know, working at the airline that was no big deal, but but it kind of launched me on a path of going out and exploring new things. You know, mm-hmm. um, I mean, I I I when I said I reinvented myself, um, I, I've done many on different kinds of things. Like um when we moved to West Sacramento, uh the kids were tiny, you know, three or four, whatever, three and five. And um West Sacramento was not a city yet. It was just a little suburb of Sacramento. So for everything cultural, everything, you know, all the necessaries, people would just cross the river into Sacramento. Um, i didn 't want to bring up my kids in a place like that that had no culture, no stores, no no life you know a, a ghost town for me, this is a ghost town because i 'm from New York City yeah. <laughs> new York so i 've lived in New york city i've lived in France, lived in japan and and then here, where I never saw a soul right you know days, nights I, I, there was nobody around um, so i i music has always been a big part of my life. Um, performing it, um, encouraging it, teaching it. You know, I taught piano for a while back in New York and, and I've been in, in many performing groups or performing solo or, or duet. And so it's always been part of my life. And I wanted to share that with my little children, you know, but um, there wasn't any. So I, I looked around and I said, okay, well, I probably know how to do this because I've Studied it all my life, not in school, but you know, I myself studied how you know all the. I used to go um to uh you know to uh, performances like before they built Lincoln Center, like in in the park, um Bernstein and Copeland. Yeah, you know, I've seen all the greats and and some of the not so greats, and, and I've watched carefully how they do what they do because I've always been fascinated by that, and I always kind of wanted to conduct, but by the time i by the time I, that got to be a serious desire i was already um a language specialist mm-hmm. and so i knew i would never have the credentials to do it i don't didn't know anybody who had an orchestra you know you have to be kind of uh, asked to guest conduct if you're not real real conductor and so I, I kind of i knew like you know like the smoke in the house i knew that it would never mm-hmm. happen cuz i didn't have the credentials on paper but here was the opportunity. Like I said, there's these circles bumping into each other up, you know, and these cosmic circles. Who who does that? <laughs> so I started my own orchestra. I knew how to do the or- the music part. I was already a writer. I've been writing all over the region in both newspapers here in the Sacramento area or magazines, and you know, and so my name was out there. I knew how to get the word out, you know, through the press. I was connected, you know, to to what I needed to, and I was a teacher, I would, I would, knew I would find a school somewhere, you know, regionally, locally, where we could rehearse, you know, so I just did it, I didn't have the time for it, uh, and I certainly didn't have the time for it, and I I didn't, it, it, it cost a little bit of money at the beginning, not much, just uh, copying fees and stuff, but, um, I didn't have extra money, I didn't have extra time, but I wanted to do it, and I knew I could, and I knew that this is probably going to be my only opportunity to do something like this. You know, who, who do you know who does this? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I did. I jumped in with both feet and um, it was an amazing experience. I, I organized the orchestra. I got players from all over the region because, you know, like if you play an oboe, say, or a bassoon, where are you going to do that? You know, you look for little local groups like like ours, you know. It's an opportunity to go play your your horn or your oboe or whatever. So I got musicians, no problem. And and I found a school locally that we could rehearse at. And it was great. We played all over the region. Um, For four years I did that. I conducted that for four years and ran it. And uh, then I moved away from that area. So it's just too far to go every week. But what an opportunity that was and and what a a memory that is, Mm. you know? It's crazy.
0: Creating opportunities for yourself. Yeah. I love that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You have to look for them. I mean, they're out there. You just have to find them. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Thinking about even this VanCast, Mm -hmm. I I just loved interviewing people on cameras and, and, you know, listening to podcasts. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, well, no one's really going to ask me, random Nick, to go on their podcast. I'm just going to start my own. There you are. And I didn't have there the time are. either. I don't have yeah, the time, but, but right. it gives me life. I love it. If you really it. want to, yeah. People yeah. like to say, "There's, I don't have enough time. You always right. have time right. for the right. things you love to do.
1: Exactly, exactly. You got to make the time for what you really want to do. Yeah. If you didn't accomplish something, it's because you didn't really want it badly enough. Yes. That's really the only reason to not do mm-hmm. something is that you didn't want it badly enough.
0: You have the best attitude ever. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> well... I I'm, I'm, I mean, you can't really refute any of that sure. stuff. I mean, yeah. the, the only reason to not accomplish something is because you didn't want it badly enough. And if yeah. you want it badly enough, you'll find a way to do it.
0: Mm-hmm. And anybody who refutes that, it sounds ridiculous.
1: It does. Do it that. does. I mean, who starts an orchestra? Yeah. Especially somebody who's teaching full time sure. and has two little kids. I and mean, I was in a crumbling marriage at the same time. I was dealing with that too. And my yeah. parents were old and infirm. And Yeah. Who does that? I didn't have time for it.
0: Do you think that it provided some sort of creative outlet to take your mind off of things?
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Music has always been my biggest solace. Mm. You know, when life was really shitty, I would sit at the piano and work it all out. And so, yeah, definitely.
0: It's different from running, of course, because you're in one place. Yeah. So what
1: Well, it's different. It's it's different, and it's not. You get into that same zone. I mean, the piano has always been the place where I get into the zone. Mm. I'll sit down and start to play, and then like it's three hours later. You know, I didn't even notice. You know, and same thing happens when I run too. Mm. You just get into that zone, and you don't notice time passing. It's just they call it the zone, or the. I mean, there's all kinds of names for that. But, I mean, painting does that for me too. Mm. You know, I just start drawing something on the canvas and then all of a sudden it's like dinner time (laughs) yeah how did that happen you know
0: you have so many hobbies yeah do you ever find that there's just not enough hours in the day yes oh yes think not enough hours in the week
1: yeah (laughs) not enough hours in the week for sure
0: and you love gardening I pulled up you were gardening yeah it's wonderful
1: yeah yeah. I've always been the gardener yeah Yeah, when I was really little I was the gardener because my mother couldn't she loved it Mm -hmm. but she couldn't with her polio you know so she, she would hang out the window and tell me what to do and I'd do it
0: So talking about all the things that you love to do, whether it's gardening, music, running, there's something we still haven't talked about. Painting. Painting. Climbing.
1: Climbing. Climbing. Heck yeah.
0: And I I used to climb a lot more. I think I started in 2015. I was climbing at a gym in San Jose. Mm -hmm. And then I spent some time going to Yosemite through the years and nothing big. Cause I always, I worked on a ropes course actually in the, really? at this Christian conference center in the Santa Cruz mountains called Mount Hermon. If you've mm-hmm. ever heard of that. Mm-hmm. And I would work, I worked on the ropes course and these kids would go on the That's ropes course. Yeah. And, and sometimes the course is only 20 feet off the ground and, and yeah, the kids yeah, would be screaming yeah. and freaking out. Yeah. And then there were a few times in Yosemite that I understood what those kids were going through. And I wasn't even Oh, is that that why they're afraid?
1: (laughs) Yep, (laughs) yep. I
0: immediately understood. Right, right. But I love climbing the gym. And and there was multiple multiple things. I had a head injury from jumping into a river, swimming. That I just Mm. like to limit my risk and be a little easier on my mom who dealt with me with a head injury and things. But um, climbing such a big theme for you and your family i mean yeah, yeah. You, you talk about your son who's one of the most famous athletes of all time right. for sure right. the most famous climber that's ever existed right climbing for you how does that define you in your life
1: i wouldn't say it defines me it helps define mm. parts of me you know but because there are there's the music side and the art sure. side and the language side Course. all equally important but uh, it's definitely a huge part of who I am now. It mm-hmm. wasn't. I mean, I, I didn't know about climbing until, until Alex was a teenager, really. I didn't, I didn't know that climbing was a thing. <laughs> who ever heard of that? You know? But uh learned.
0: Absolutely. And, and people definitely need to, of course, push in the book because it's such a phenomenal book. Thank you. But for the people Thank who you. haven't yet read it, can you talk a little bit about how... Climbing was kind of introduced into your life, into your family's life, and of course it's grown since. Well,
1: yes, yeah, it's, it's it's hard to know where to start to answer that because Alex climbed from the day he was born. That's yeah. all he ever wanted to do, and he could do it from birth on. You know, he could climb. I could never, ever have him in a crib, never in a playpen or anything confining like that because he'd be out in 10 seconds. So, um Climbing, dealing with climbing, dealing not the sport, but just dealing with the action of climbing. Being a little kid defined my life for when he was a little. I mean, he was, was a horrible kid to raise because I didn't know the, yet what he was capable of. So I was constantly on edge. I mean, people would come over to our house or you know see me have coffee with me, whatever, and they were constantly jumping to their feet, yelling, "Look out!" look out, because <laughs> my son was so, in their mind, dangerous, mm. you know. He wasn't dangerous. I mean, he knew exactly what he could do from birth onward. I mean, the day he was born, he could stand up. He, it's crazy. So he was a climber from birth, but other people didn't know about it, You know, and climbing wasn't out there yet in the media, and, you know, nobody knew about it. So um, that was sort of my introduction to climbing with a... Small C, you know, not not the sport <laughs> exactly, but the, the act of, you know. And so it sort of grew, you know, organically with him, you know. Uh, it was horrible at the beginning because it, it's hard. I mean, the biggest job, are you a parent? I'm not. Okay. The biggest job, well, you probably know the same, the biggest job of parents when their kids are little is to protect them. You know, you put rubber bumpers on the edge of the table, and you you <laughs> keep the garbage locked away. I'm on you the know. other
0: side of that. Okay, yeah,
1: Right. So, um, our biggest job is to protect them, you know, so they can grow, you know, healthy. And he pushed that. You know, I I didn't know how to protect somebody who could do all these weird things that I couldn't do. You know, yeah. I, I mean, when we when we moved into our house here, we're where we're parked right now, um, it's a you know little uh, what do you call that? What kind of house is that? A ran- little ranch style house, one story and a a shaped roof, a line roof. And when we moved in, he was five, and he was skinny little thing, so tiny, skinny, scrawny, little but powerful. And and I didn't know about the powerful part because you know he didn't talk much yet, and you know, I just didn't know, and I didn't know about climbing. I didn't anyway. Every day he would bug me. Mom, can I go up on the roof? Can I go up on the roof? He was five years old. He wasn't up to my knee, and I said, "No, you can't go up. Don't go up on the roof." I was, you know, I, was, I tried my darndest <laughs> to prevent him from going up on the roof. And he was—he was a wonderful little boy. Very, not—not not exactly obedient. He was obedient when he saw the logic of what you were demanding of him, you know. But if he didn't see that logic, well, there's no reason to, you know, follow that rule. <laughs> so. One day I was in the kitchen peeling potatoes, and all of a sudden I hear crunch, crunch, crunch up over my head. Oh, I knew immediately what had happened. <laughs> <laughs> so I put the potatoes down, I ran outside, and I looked up. And there's Alex having the time of his life, running all over the roof, pulling balls out of the the, the gutters where they'd gotten clogged up, pulling all the debris out of the gutters. Cleaned off the, the top of the heater, you know, doing all this good stuff, handyman kind of stuff, you know, and having a great time. And he kept, and so, you know, Mom, look at this. Mom, look, at, you won't believe all the stuff in this. Got to look at it. And how could I shut that down? I mean, he was so enthusiastic about, not the skill, but the adventure of it, you know? And I could see that. It it, it so apparent and, you know, preventing him from going up on the roof because it's my rule, it would have just been stupid. It would have been, you know, picking a fight you can't win. Mm-hmm. I knew I couldn't win that fight. <laughs> I knew that, you know, nature was in charge of him. His genes were in charge and he got those genes from me, so I couldn't really complain. <laughs> um so you know, I couldn't I couldn't I couldn't shut him down at sure. that point.
0: Was there a shift that needed to happen for you that you could tell like in your own parenting because uh, I think I was the same way. I wasn't allowed on the roof. Probably, definitely <laughs> right. wanted to. I see my dad putting but up Christmas lights. At one point, lights. did you go up
1: there? Huh?
0: I don't think I ever dared. You did? <laughs> I uh, should have. Yeah. Oh, yeah. but, um, but for you, of course, you recognize this was something inside him that couldn't yeah, be tamed. Yeah. But was there part of you that thought, well, as much as I want to allow this, I still want to be that protector in case of the unknown, in case of the trip?
1: Mm, yes and no. I, by that point, I could see that. How to put this? He didn't need protecting from me. Hmm. He was way beyond what I could either do or do with him or protect him from. You know, He could do all these things that I couldn't do. And, and he knew it. I knew it. And so it would have just been foolhardy to try to impose my will on somebody who's gone so far beyond me. Hmm. I knew this then when he was five. And it's a hard thing for a parent to accept. It really is. Um, And I I just – not because it was me, but I don't know – none of the parents I knew then, you know, we'd hang out in front of the school waiting for our kids to come out in front of preschool and kindergarten and all. None of those parents could have raised Alex because they – they were constantly giving me advice, you know, because they could mm-hmm. see what he was like. He was interested, not interested at all in throwing a ball, catching a you know, catcher's mitt or none, none of that subject. No, nothing else interested him. And But the thing that interested him, they didn't accept as, as I mean, they, it wasn't acceptable to them. Mm-hmm. It wasn't normal to them. And so I I got tons of advice. You know, take him to a doctor. He'll give him something that will make him a little bit more normal. Holy cow. I was so shocked by stuff like that. He was totally normal for him, you know. And he he had this gift that the other kids didn't have. And so why should anybody want to shut him down and stop him from doing it? You know, I couldn't understand that. I mean, I played piano and accordion and guitar and I played all these things. And I would have... If anybody tried to stop me from doing that, I probably would have left home. I mean, mm-hmm. there's no way to stop a driven child from doing what they're driven to do. You can't. Mm-hmm. It's not a reasonable thing, and it's not. it can't be taught out of them, mm-hmm. you know? You can just ruin their life, you know? You can put up a wall between the two of you, and I didn't want to do that. Mm.
0: And you definitely saw something in him and knew what you were doing because you've been able to yeah. see the results of what yeah. the, what came that, from yeah. that, too. Yeah,
1: that was really hard. To, you know, like 10 years of yeah. seeing all this stuff happening and seeing in the newspaper, I mean, the uh, magazine articles. And, yeah. You know, oh, it was really hard.
0: <laughs> I want to get into you actually getting up on the wall, but it makes me think now of, of when you see him, you know, on the Thank God Ledge on Half Dome, for you do you just see that little kid up on the roof still
1: <laughs> well yeah we've come a long way but I know that's still him and, yeah and, yeah I know he's just up there having a great time
0: yeah yeah when was it the first time for you that you wanted to give it a shot what
1: climbing at all
0: rock climbing in a more formalized capital C sense.
1: Okay. um well it was it was a slow dawning kind of thing um I would get all these magazine articles I'd Look at them. Look at the pictures, and I my brain was protecting me. Uh, it would just tell me, "No, you're reading that wrong. No, that can't be what you know. That can't be what you think, you know." <laughs> <laughs> and so I and I was that that was that seven eight year period when I, I didn't have a second to myself. Mm. You know, I'd go to school, teach, come home, do the the what do you call it, the estate work, take the dog for a walk or a jog, fall into bed and get up and do it again every day. I did that for like a year and a half, two years. It was horrible. Um, So I didn't have time to think about it. And my brain, you know, helped me shut that down. You know, no, don't think about it. Just put that aside. So I didn't think about it for a long time. And then, um, I mean, I, I would hear Alex would try. He tried his darndest to help me understand what he did. I never, I never was able to go like to the competitions and and take him. all – His father did that because I had to do all the work at home. Because if his father stayed home and I did that when I came home, then I'd have to do all the work at home. You know, yeah. so I learned early on just to let them go. So I didn't really see what went on in the competitions or at the gyms and stuff. And and then I'd get all these, you know, these wild photos in the magazines and the videos and. I wanted to know what was going on out there. I wanted to know whether my imagination was accurate, whether I was picturing what was going on the right way, whether, you know, what, because Alex would tell me, you know, he'd give me all these definitions. I didn't speak the language. I'm a language person. I speak eight languages. And I don't like not understanding what's going on around me, wherever I am. And Alex and his friends would sit around, you know, my house, and they'd talk about what they'd just done or what they were going to do, what the expedition consisted of. And I didn't understand a word of it. (laughs) I didn't understand a word of it because climbing has its own jargon, you know, its own vocabulary, its own verbs. It's, It's crazy. And I wanted to know. I wanted to understand. So I had Alex take me to the climbing gym. And, uh, he did. It was a good sport. And we went and, uh, Again, like with the smoke in the house, I knew that I was afraid of heights. And a lot Mm. of people say, Oh, I could never do that. I'm afraid of heights. Well, guess what? If you're afraid of heights, you're not afraid of heights. You're afraid of falling off the height. There's a big difference. Because once you're tied into the rope, and I knew that I had, you know, I was a top rope in the gym, you know, and I knew that the person at the other end of my rope was the most the strongest climber in the world, you know, I knew that he wasn't going to let anything happen to me. All of a sudden, you're not afraid of heights anymore Mm. because you know that nothing can happen. You know that you can't fall off that height. And so I had a great time that day. And then we came home and Alex left on another expedition for six months or whatever, and and I was alone. And I was, I didn't know anything. Didn't know, like I said, the jargon. I didn't speak climbing yet. and I didn't have any friends who climbed. I didn't know anything about it, but I knew that I had had a great time, and I remembered having that great time when I was a little kid too. I Climbing trees and climbing lampposts and you know outsides of apartment buildings and stuff, but I wasn't supposed to when I was a little kid. I was supposed to be good and stay home and help my mother and wear pretty dresses, so I did. So I, it took me I don't know a month or two to get up the courage to go back to the gym by myself and I finally did one day (laughs) and uh, and I just I had a great time that evening it was after work and uh, I met some people who were willing to climb with me and willing to belay me and have me belay them which was pretty pretty uh, trusting of them (laughs) because I didn't know what I was doing but uh, and then I started to make friends and they started to mentor me kind of you know train me the rest is history wow
0: that's amazing. And, and could you have ever imagined growing up that you'd be one day doing that? No, no. Never, that.
1: never in a million years. <laughs> never in a million years.
0: But of course it didn't just stop in the climbing gym. You no, 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 no. You the oldest woman to climb El Capitan, yeah, which yeah. is insane.
1: It is. It, it is. <laughs> I know. To climb it in general <laughs> well, is we, one thing. You have to specify, though, that I didn't climb it the way you know my son climbed. Mm. I climbed on the ropes. Uh, you know, but still, I climbed still. all 3,000 <laughs> feet on the ropes. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. It doesn't happen without and all I, that muscle.
1: No, yeah, exactly. And, and not only the muscle, but you have to train yourself out of... There's a lot of fear involved of in course. being on a 3,000-foot yeah. wall. Yeah. <laughs> And, and and all the other stuff. You have to learn how to use the gear, and uh, you know if you do anything stupid up there, people could die. So sure. you have to really yeah. dial it in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it took me a while, but I got there.
0: How did that feel, compared to getting to the top of a wall in a climbing gym? Getting to the top of
1: well, it didn't L-capitan. happen overnight. I mean, sure. I started on this wall sure. and then that wall. And then,
0: right. But and I guess can you can you look back at where you started, where you came from?
1: I can, not yeah. Is it the same yeah. kind
0: of accomplishment feeling when you ring the bell at the top of the wall and then, or is it just completely different?
1: It's, well, it's not completely different because you have that learning curve, mm-hmm. you know, like I did when you, is a, a newbie climber, somebody starting from scratch, never having climbed, the learning curve is enormous. Enormous. And, um, it was kind of like that again when I was trying to learn how to do. You know, the big wall climbing is very different from regular climbing. You know, climbing at mm. a crag, whatever. So, big wall climbing is a different skill altogether. A different kind of gear altogether. I had to learn a lot of stuff. <laughs> but I'm a teacher, and I worked on a semester system like for the last 30 years, whatever. Well, I'm probably 44, and so I knew that. Like within semesters at our college is 18 weeks. I knew knew that like in 18 weeks, you can learn a little science or a little math or a little language or, you know, Mm -hmm. you you won't be the world's best, but you learn a little of it, you know. So I set myself a goal of 18 weeks to train, Mm. to, to learn everything I needed to know and to get able to do it.
0: What strikes me is your approach because you think of it in a very logical way. Yeah. But I think so much of climbing and so much of so many of your other passions regard artistic expression. Mm -hmm. True. Would you consider yourself to be primarily someone who thinks about things mathematically or with that kind of heart artistic approach to things?
1: Yes. Yes to both. There's a lot of math in language. There's a lot of math and logic in Mm -hmm. um, music. And... I would argue that there's a lot of math and and science in mm-hmm. climbing mm-hmm. you know there's an awful lot of physics involved in climbing that you have to understand. you may not know the names of of the the, the things that you're learning about you know in, in terms of physics, but you have to know it in your heart what it does and how it works and mm-hmm. you know the the angle of the fall the angle right. of you know the rope um force you know the power of force i mean if you fall on anyway right um so yeah i yes to both because there's a lot of math and science uh, and Mm. but if you go back far enough the word science just means knowing Mm. so there's a lot of math and science involved in all of those things
0: yeah that is interesting I don't know why that just struck me because you're thinking 18 hey, but But when you do these activities, it is, you're moving along the rock and it's so yeah. artistic and wonderful. And, and thinking Ooh. about it for running too, yeah. you're going along a trail and you can jump over that rock.
1: Mm-hmm. But then you I'm also. Watching, to- watching my son climb is kind of, for me anyway. Maybe this is weird. <laughs> I don't know. But watching Alex climb, I mean, he's so good at reading the rock and his, his movements are so fluid. Mm-hmm. Watching him climb is like watching ballet, hmm. which is music, you know. And so, yeah, there's there's a lot of both in both, everything you mentioned.
0: I know you've been asked this before, but I'm curious if your answer ever shifts or changes. Do you ever get nervous watching him?
1: Not nervous. That's not the word. Hmm. Um, yeah, the pit of the stomach kind of, you know, roiling. Uh, yeah, because I'm still his mother, you know. There are some videos that I have trouble watching. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, like Moonlight Buttress is one of them. Mm. That's just so obvious what's going to happen if he doesn't place his fingers right, you know. And and I know he survived it, you know. Like everybody who watches free, I went to, uh, I don't know, seven or eight of the premieres of Free Soul around the country, you know. And I, after the, for first three or four, I'd watch the audience. And the men are always like,
0: you know. I'm thinking watch, that right yeah, now. Right, right. Right this <laughs> second. Right, right, right. Ah,
1: you know, and, and a lot of the women watch it like this, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a little bit of that. I yeah. mean, I'm his mother, but right. that will never go away. But but um, but I, but now that I understand, you know, yeah. the rope climbing, no, that doesn't bother me because, right. you know, I know how it happens now. Yeah. I know what they do, how well they protect themselves. and true Alex kind of pushes the envelope you know like when he and Tommy do those speed records and they're they're pushing it yeah but but Alex is very careful he's always been very very Mm. sure-footed and careful and and thoughtful Mm. I mean he took it took more or less 10 years for him to train for El Cap I mean he says two in the movie but those are the you know just with the film crew yeah Mm -hmm. but every for for years before that, every time I'd ask him, you know what are you going to be doing this week or uh, this weekend or, or where are you going?" He'd, the answer was always the same, "I'll be working on LCAP. Mm-hmm. So I mean, to train for anything for ten years, eight years, whatever it was yeah is is an enormous uh, enormously responsible thing to do, mm-hmm. you know yeah, both of my kids are very, very sure-footed and careful and you know thought carefully thought through, and I like that
0: what comes to mind I, and i want to ask you about this is that when you think about you and pursuing your own artistic or you know hobby passions whatever you want to call them
1: mm-hmm.
0: and then thinking about your own children your daughter's passion for running or whether it's your son's passion for climbing do you have an opinion on the idea of nature versus nurture for example, would Alex, this is an odd question, would he be into climbing if he had had a different family altogether?
1: Yeah, yeah. They're, well, nature and nurture go hand in hand. I mean, you can help nature along or you can hinder it. And you can make somebody's life miserable or you can help them, encourage them. So, yeah, they're a little bit of both. But... There, you can hinder them to the point where you shut them down, or you can just hinder them to the point where you put up this wall and they don't want to have anything to do with you anymore. You mm-hmm. know, and but a lot of families go that way. You know, the parents disapprove of whatever X Y Z, and so they never see each other. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so sad. That's so sad. I mean, you're his mother or father or whatever. You know, uh, there's got to be a way to meet in the middle, sure. you know? But when a kid has a passion, like Alex's passion, not all kids are lucky enough to to recognize their passion when they're little. Mm-hmm. You know, so for some people, it takes decades to find their passion, to find what really drives them. Mm-hmm. And for if you're lucky enough to find that as a kid, it would be a crime to, you know, shut it down, whatever it is.
0: What I'm then curious about then... Let's take you and your passion for climbing as well. Let's say that, or or running, you know, let's say your daughter never encouraged you to run. Your son never encouraged you to climb. Do you think that there would be something inside you that you were missing that you would never be able to place when you think about Could your be. later? Could be. Could very
1: well be. Mm. Yeah. You would just always have that uncomfortable feeling that something's mm. missing in your life. You know? I mean, I, I, lived like that for a long time yeah because there was a lot missing in my life for many many for decades because you know when i was real little it wasn't allowed and i wasn't allowed to think for myself i wasn't allowed to go do things and then i you know was in that miserable marriage for many years um so yeah you 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 get into this rut of feeling vaguely uncomfortable you don't know why you know or, or if you can figure it out um, you're lucky you know if, but yeah for sure
0: going back to again why I love this medium of bringing the van to folks and asking them about their passions and how they impart that wisdom to mm-hmm. others mm-hmm. you just mentioned something that, that caused me to think about this you know if you're, if you're lucky enough to find that yeah. how do you to the best of your ability remove the luck and find something
1: that you're well, passionate parents about can, parents can help that a lot um We have two main jobs, parents. Two and a half. half. (laughs) First, when they're real little, of course, just to protect them so they can grow up. But our two biggest jobs are, the first is what you're talking about, to expose them to different parts of life so that they can choose. Mm. So that they're not choosing their job in a vacuum. Um, This is one thing I, I always loved about growing up in New York City. Just walking down the street in New York City is an education in so many different kinds of jobs, things happening all around you. And you can see how this person makes a living. Now, this, you know, it, it's an amazing way to grow up. And out here in suburbia, you don't have that. Mm. You just don't have that. Kids, how are kids going to know what kinds of jobs are out there? What kind of passions are out there if they never see anybody?
0: All right.
1: Unless they drive somewhere. That's a crazy mm. way to live. Yeah. Um so, our biggest job when they're starting to grow and experience the world is to try to expose them or allow them to be exposed to different parts of life you know, buy the yeah. musical instruments let them take lessons in this and that see what they love. They can't know unless they try it, mm-hmm. you know like so many things and then the other the 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 follow up to that big job is is our prime job of making ourselves obsolete we want to teach them to replace us basically you know they're going to grow up and be us you know and maybe take care of us when they're old when they're older and we're really older um so imparting everything we know to them in some way in some form or other you know yeah. whether it's by sharing a piano lessons or whether it's by taking it to them to the planetarium or whatever it is you know that's that's our main job as parents
0: for people who grow up and become adults or don't have that same opportunity as children to be exposed to instruments or organized sports or anything for adults, what would you say? I mean, is this the PSA to go climbing or what if it's tennis? No, or? Yeah,
1: no, uh, no, I don't want to push climbing above anything else. I mean, the, the world is fascinating, all kinds of fascinating things to do. And, and right now we're in a, a, a lucky spot right now. We have, Mr. Google <laughs> knows <right>. everything. <laughs> you know, uh, you like um, racket sports, you know, table tennis or tennis or pickleball, whatever. It is. Look it up. Look it up online. But there's so many ways to find things nowadays. Yeah. And, but it requires energy. You have to do it, mm-hmm. you know. And you have to – before you, any of that can happen, you have to know who you are.
0: That's a bigger question. That's
1: a then. that's a biggie. That's a biggie. And I mean, whether you do it through keeping a journal, which is a valuable tool, very valuable, mm-hmm. or you know, therapy or meeting for coffee with your friends and thrashing things out. However you do it, you have to know who you are in order to know what you want to do. Yeah.
0: I know you do a lot of, again, going back to the podcast, your speaking engagements and mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. This is such a treasure trove of information. Why do you like to share this with others? Because I can tell you're passionate about it and it's such a positive thing too.
1: Why would I want to keep this to myself? <laughs> I mean, everybody should know this. The world would be so much better a place if everybody, you know, A, found out who they are deep in their heart and, and, and what the, their biggest dream is, their biggest... Yeah driving passion and whether they can go out and actually accomplish this. And mm. and I know how to go out and accomplish these things. And I've, I've kind of got it down to a, not a science exactly, yeah. but a method, you know? And anybody can do whatever they want. There's, yeah. there are no limits. Like I learned from my son that day, you know, the first day I started climbing, uh, running, there, there are no limits. Once you accept this method, there are no limits to what you can do.
0: That's right. And you're just a phenomenal example of that because it's well documented the things you've done. You've written yeah. about it, and people yeah. can look at you as an example of saying, "This yeah. is what it did for her. What could yeah. it do for me?"
1: Yeah, exactly. I love I that. Mean, anything that you really want to do or know or learn can be learned. Anything, and we're especially now in this age of instant information on anything, just sitting at your kitchen table, you know. So, yeah, why would I not want to share that? It's so that. exciting. It's it really is. very
0: exciting. Is there anything that you've yet to do that you want to do?
1: Oh, lots of stuff. Oh goodness. Um, yeah. Well, I'm, last year I ticked I off a biggie. I, I had since I started climbing, I'd always wanted to uh, climb in the Dolomites. And, uh, and I did. Last, last fall, I spoke in Italy and Switzerland and Greece, and I got to climb in those three places. Wow. It was amazing. It was outstanding. Mm. So, uh, so another one of my I'd like to is uh, to climb in the French Alps. I mean, I've been a French teacher for I don't know how many years, and I've been in the Alps, but not as a climber. Yeah. You know? And so it's time. I want to go try that
0: like you said before there are there is no ceiling you can do it all
1: do it all yep
0: and i again i just can't recommend this book enough um and this conversation enough people are going to need to listen to this this is just (laughs) so great i i this is the epitome of why i like to do this i I just feel your passion so is there anything else that you'd like to share with the audience again i can't thank you enough
1: it's been a pleasure, yeah, yeah I uh, we've touched on a lot of different topics. I could go on and on about them, but I won't. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, next year or so, the I will have another book out um, mm. about this method of mine, you know yeah. how how anybody can do all these things, you know. um, so just look for that or check me out on Instagram, you know my name, Dear Walnick Keep in touch with me, keep track of me, and you know, let's talk.
0: It's so incredible what you're doing and what you're sharing with the world that it's it's such a positive message. And uh, when you put that new be- that book out, come back I'll, on I'll and let we'll let talk you know. about it. Absolutely. We'll do. <laughs> Deirdre, thank you so much and we'll talk to you soon.
1: Thanks for inviting me. I Bye-bye.